It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into another episode of the Crimson Corner. I am your host, Michelle Plotkin, and also your KSL Sports Utah Utes Insider. You haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a break from doing the podcast. People were getting married, having babies, going on vacation, and then this weird thing happened in college football where it just all kind of blew up, and it just felt like a little too much, so we took a step back, but now we are back because we are just on the edge of starting up the 2020, 2022 football season. And you know what? We thought over here, it would be a great idea since Utah is poised to potentially have another really big season to maybe go back in time and examine some of the other really big seasons in Utah football history. So that's what we're going to do over the next coming weeks until Utah boards that plane to Gainesville to open their season against Florida. With that being said, the first team that we felt like we had to kind of look back on is the 1994 team. Uh, they they were one of the first teams to finish ranked in like years. Uh, I believe it was number eight in the coaches poll and number 10 in the AP poll. Uh, And they finished with a really big bowl game over Arizona. I believe they beat three ranked teams, if I'm not mistaken, in that season. Uh, And it just kind of signaled a turn of the tides for the Utes. Uh, After years of incompetence, it looked like Ronnie Mack had everything kind of back on track. And it really kind of is a marker for what we've seen from the team today. With that being said, I had to have a guest on to talk about that time frame almost 28 years ago now, if you can believe it. Uh, please welcome in my good friend, Edwin Garrett, uh, more lovingly known as EG by the people closest to him. Uh, he was a former defensive back during the 1994 year, and uh, he has some phenomenal insight on the team. Welcome in. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love getting together with you guys when you come into town and just talking about what things were like back in the early 90s, kind of mid-90s, uh, you know, as Coach Mack is getting things back on track, you know, 
give us a review of, you know, what things were like when you were playing in Utah. Yeah. So, you know, it was a, uh, when I got up there, uh, it was a blue state. I mean, it was, um, everything was BYU. Um, uh, University of Utah was, was really a second thought, like no one really cared too much about us. And so, you know, it was, it was interesting to kind of see the tide over the course of the, the three years I was there to see the tide kind of turn, um, so to speak. I mean, I know um, back in the, the first team I played on in 92, we lost to BYU. Um, and it seemed like almost it seemed like they were like the invincible force. I'll be honest with you. Like, um, you know, we'd play our schedule. We'd go into that game being the last game of the year. And um, it always seemed like, you know, if we stayed in the game, it was going to be, you know, like, hey, we did a good job. Um, but really, I think the turning tide of like from a from a program standpoint, at least while I was there, was the uh, the '93 game up in Lavelle Edwards Stadium uh, when we won 34-31 on a 50-yard kick. Um, I think that was one of the things where you know if you're you're pushing an object that's immovable, and then you finally get it to budge. It gives you that hope, and then you know you can move it. And I think that was kind of the game that kind of spearheaded um, us kind of moving in a direction where we realized that, hey, uh, we could play these guys, we could beat these guys, um, we can compete on a bigger level. That's always I, – I feel like when we talk about Utah's emergence as becoming – powerhouse might be a little bit of a stretch, but – having a bigger presence in college football, it always seems to stem around BYU, at least, especially in the earlier years. Uh, that was just kind of the measuring stick. What do you think of things now with that rivalry and how things have progressed since you guys played back in the early nineties? Yeah. I mean, I think it's totally different. I mean, you know, um, going into those seasons, um, you know, we, BYU was always circled on the schedule, on the calendar, and, you know, even if the season wasn't that great, if you went in and you could win that game, um, then you felt like you accomplished something that year. I think we've progressed as a program to a place now where, um, you know, I mean, BYU hasn't, you know, we, they, they beat us, you know, recently, um, but we had won like 10 straight. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really a, 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 a huge game. And, and I say that in all respects to BYU. I think that that game, if possible, should still be played yearly. Um, but I think that, you know, we've, as a program, have grown and moved on to a bigger, um, you know, bigger conference and, a, and, a, and, and maybe better rivalries in terms of, you know, playing some of the schools in the Pac-12. Now, I know hearing stories from back in 2004 and 2008, there was a sense before the season started that the team was going to be really, really good. There, there was just this feeling within the program when I talked to guys from those eras. Did you guys get that sense heading into the 1994 season? Yeah, you know, we felt like we were really good. I mean, we, you know, we, 92, I get up there in 92, we play uh, Washington State um, in the Copper Bowl, and their quarterback was Drew Bledsoe. Um, we played we played fairly well in that game. Um, you, and you say way into the 93 year, um, you know, we had, you know, Jamal Anderson was our big, big running back. Um, Henry Luss was with a tight end slash slot receiver type guy. Right. And um, we were, we were, we were good, but we, there was just some things that were a little off on that team. 
Um, so going into the fall camp of 94 and understanding that we have Mike McCoy coming back as quarterback, uh, we had lost Jamal. That was going to be a big, a big missing part for us, but we had a, a pretty good group of running backs. Um, it, it, we felt, we felt good. And then, you know, the big, one of the biggest factors was when you look at, um, you know, the greatest player I've ever played with, I mean, Luther Ellis, I mean, Luther was, um, an absolute monster versus everyone there's a man among boys and so knowing he was coming back and on the team and had Bronzel Miller coming off the edge and we had a, a very veteran sec- secondary we knew that we could compete and so going into that year we felt like you know this is going to be an opportunity for us to have a really good season we didn't really know how good um but we knew we were going to have a better season than we had the year before the year before we were like uh, seven and five and then we lost the USC in the Freedom Bowl um, to go to, to finish at seven and six. At what point in the season were you guys starting to feel pretty good and like it could be a special season? Oh, it was, it would have been going into the Colorado state game. I mean, that game was, was a nationally televised game. Uh, we had them up there. Um, they had a really good team. Um, it was, you know, I mean, we ended up slipping up and losing the Air Force later in the season in New Mexico later in the season to cost us the conference. And Colorado State actually ended up winning the conference. But going into that game, it was two ranked whack teams at the time, which was kind of unheard of. We go in, um, we play a, a nail biter back and forth. Harold Lusk gets an interception at, at the goal line and runs it back and kind of seals the deal. And from that point forward, kind of moving forward, we knew that uh, we were solid. We had a little bit of, a, obviously, a hiccup um, later in the season against New Mexico, and I think that was just, you know, reading our own press clippings. Like, we hadn't really ever had the opportunity to read, you know, your own press clippings and stuff in the newspaper. You felt really good about yourself, and then we kind of got put in our place. You mentioned the Colorado State game as being kind of a key within that season, what were some of the other games that you feel like really just kind of defined what that season ended up being? Well, I think early, early in the season, you know, you open up, um, we, we, I don't believe we opened up with them, but it was like the second, third game. We, we went to Oregon. And so we go to Oregon. Um, we play those guys and beat those guys. You know, those guys are supposed to be really good. They actually, they ended up um, uh, playing, playing Penn State in the Rose Bowl that year. Um, with Kerry Collins and Kajana Carter at Penn State. So um, going there and beating them in that environment and like, you know, what Oregon is now and what it was then, it's always been a, a, a wild crowd, loud. The crowd's right on top of you. Um, so a really hostile environment to get in there and get that win. And so, you know, you look at that win as being um, early in the season and it mattered, right? And so um, then you get into the Colorado State's, um, San Diego State was a trip down to San Diego, which was, you know, close to, to home for well, it was home for me. But we had a lot of Southern California guys. And so that was something that um, that was a game that they had a lot of athletes that had just lost Marshall Falk the year before. Um, but they still had guys. And so, you know, that was a big win. And to come down to Southern California and get a win like that. So, you know, I mean, you, you look at the, the, the way our, our schedule broke down um, once we got rolling. Um, we felt pretty good about about what we were doing and how we were doing. And I, and, I, and I think, you know, when you look at, at least from a defensive side of the ball, you look at Fred Whittingham, like uh, uh, Coach Kyle's uh, father, like that man wasn't going to take any underperforming from anyone. So, 
you know, I mean, I think he struck fear in everybody, but he also he also was respected by all. So um, the coaches did a really good job of uh, keeping us grounded and, and, and trying to keep us on the straight and narrow. Talk about Mad Dog a little bit. Uh, you know, I feel like we don't really hear about him and the legacy that he left at Utah uh, before Kyle ended up kind of becoming who he did. Yeah. So, I mean, for big, big, big wit, man, uh, love that man to death. Um, rest of his soul, love that man to death. He was, you know, so when I when I came up, I had got recruited by uh, uh, Dan Henson was the quarterback coach and, and Greg McMacken was our D coordinator. Uh, by the time I got to school, um, uh, McMacken had left for another school. I believe it was Navy and Fred Whittingham was the D coordinator. And so, you know, um, he was a person that instilled toughness in the defense um, you know, you, you're, you weren't going to, you, you weren't going to want to come off the field after disappointing, after disappointing him. Um, very, very, very smart football mind. Um, you know, I mean, he had us doing stuff, you know, that, I mean, he, between our D front and it's, it's crazy because, and, and Kyle in 94, Kyle was on that. He was, he was our D line coach. And so, you know, it, it's crazy to see the team progress. To where it is now but in my mind it hasn't really progressed in terms of the philosophies of what we had this all the philosophies that fred winningham had are the same philosophies that kyle winningham has now toughness mental toughness and get after it you know a defensive-minded guy and so um big big wit was was very very instrumental in the things that we did and and kind of getting us um, ready to go because you know in the WAC conference back then you know the WAC was known for just shootouts you know, you go out and, you know, it's a 50-45 game. And so he wanted us to go out and, and be equally as good as our offense. Talk about Kyle Whittingham, because 1994 was the first year that he was actually with Utah as a coach, and he hasn't left. He has had his stamp, his signature on every single big win, every single big season since 1994. Hey. Kyle is Kyle's the GOAT. He is the GOAT of the University of Utah. And, you know, I, I, Coach Ron McBride is, is, is a founding father of that. And Kyle has taken us, um, you know, um, to the next level times, too. Um, you, you look at the stability of our program, and it says a lot about what Kyle is, what he stands for, um, how he is managed a program for that long which is it was quite impressive when you look at a lot of the turnover these days in terms of you know college programs and things like that so um he's the goat of utah period um there that's not questionable um he's brought stability um he's brought respect to not only the university of utah uh, but the state of utah you know he's he's on a he's on the top five list of every current coaching college coach in, in the country. Um, and, and, and we owe him a lot. I mean, I remember that, that brief moment when he was looking at considering going back to, uh, or going back to his alma mater, uh, alma mater and BYU. And I think everybody was on pins and needles when he was making that decision. Do you think Kyle gets the respect that he deserves considering how long and prolific his career has been so far with the Utes? I think he gets the respect in, 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 in Utah. I don't think he gets respect, you know, nationally. I don't think he gets as much respect as he should get, 
you know, I mean, you know, I, I talked to a lot of guys and, you know, played played ball against a lot of guys. A lot of guys went to different programs. And you, know, you, you when you start talking about, you know, Fiesta Bowl wins, you know, Sugar Bowl wins, Rose Bowl games, the 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 streak of um, of of, of conse- consecutive bowl game wins that we had, like those numbers are are absolutely ridiculously great, and I don't think a lot of people know that. And I don't think a lot of people have paid attention outside of the the state of Utah. Um, but you know, inside the state, I know he gets his respect. But I mean, he's just a he's a great coach, and he should get more respect. There are a few other familiar faces from that 1994 team that are now currently coaching for Utah. Uh, your teammates Sharif Shaw and, of course, Luther Ellis is a new addition this year to the coaching staff. You know, talk about those two, what they were like as players back in 1994 and what you think they bring as coaches. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, Sharif, man, like that's um, obviously when he came on board, great hire. Um, just a really, just a really good human being, uh, loved playing with him. He was, he was my, my starting strong safety in, in 92 before his boy took that over, um, after Sharif left, um, you know, uh, his, he, from LA, I believe he went to Dorsey high school, uh, really good recruiter. Feel like when he goes into someone's, goes in the kids' living rooms, I think he's a person that you can trust, um, that he's going to take care of, take care of, uh, of your son, you know, and then you look at, you know, all the tragedy that's been around the program of, of late, um, having someone like that on, on staff um, to be able to try to, you know, take the temperature of the guys and make sure that they're we're taking care of those guys in the right way. Um, I think he, he's been, he's been absolutely imperative in um, these last couple of years with everything that's happened in the program. And then, you know, you look at Luther, <laughs> I mean, like, once again, there's, 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 I could talk to you about Luther for an hour. Um, the, the football player he was, um, the, the, the human being that he is, uh, one of the most humble human beings to this day. You know, I mean, you talk, you know, his first round draft pick in the NFL draft. I see that man. Anytime I see him, he's going to run up and be like, Hey, EG, and give me a big hug. Um, you know, he's just been always been humble and knowing the game. I mean, he knows the game inside and out. And so, you know, bringing him on staff, like that's a huge, huge, um, get for us. You know, it's, it's a, it's another guy that's back coaching at his alma mater um and and it's I think he's going to be it's going to be great I think he's going to be he's going to be a great addition Utah talks about family a lot uh and a brotherhood and I think fans are kind of aware of that existing in the here and now I don't think they realize how far back that actually goes uh I know that you guys try and make a trip at least a trip every year to get together go see a game and just reconnect as a as former teammates and friends uh you know what what kind of spurned that sort of relationship on and what do you think keeps it going despite you know players coming and going you know eventually coaches do change out that sort of thing you know, well, I think for us, um, you know, I think it started with Coach McBride. I mean, Coach McBride is a leader of men. He's not just a leader. He was not just a leader of football. He's a leader of men. Um, he was able to get us to, to inspire us to do things that maybe we didn't want to do, but he was able to get that done. You know, and so when you play, you know, meaningful football games, 
um, you, you build that camaraderie with each other. Right. And so, you know, I mean, I think from, from the point that, you know, after I graduated and a lot of the guys that played after me, I met them just coming back and forth to different games and going to different events and whatnot. And, you know, we all talked and shared stories and a lot of it was centered around coach Mac, right? Like them sharing Mac stories, us sharing Mac stories um, and just kind of getting together. And then, you know, we have a, a big contingency of guys down here in Southern California. We keep up with each other. Um, we're always going to come out for one game. We're always going to, you know, try to get to um, one or two road games, um, you know, be a little different now with, with USC and UCLA not being in the conference. So you don't get the California, the Southern California um, yearly trip, but um, you know, it's, it's the network was bred through winning football games together in that family environment. Coach Mac always, bred family and I think that was one of the biggest reasons why we won football games and I always tell kids now I've, I've spent some time um, coaching high school football I coached Darren Carrington um, when he was a, um, in high school I coached him his whole high school career and I often tell people that you know like when you're you're looking at sending your your child somewhere to go play deep division one sports I'm like you need to talk to the alumni talk to the parents of some of the kids who played in the past um, they'll give you they'll give you the real down and dirty about what the program's about, how they're treated, how they feel they're accepted. And, you know, Utah still accepts us. You know, we're old guys now. They still accept us with open arms when we go to games and make us feel like, you know, we're still part of the program. And so that's that's a um, very good job of um, them doing um, for us, making us feel like a part. And so we feel like we're still part of something that's special. Back in the early 90s, and, and even I think up into the thousands, uh, mental health was just not a very big thing in football coaching. And yet it always feels like when I talk to guys that played under Coach McBride, that he was a little ahead of the curve on that. He understood that you guys have things going on in life. He knew how to be tough on you, but he also knew when to kind of pull back and just show you some love and build you up. Uh, you know, was that really the case? Uh, and and how important do you think that is, you know, going forward now into t- in today's game? Uh, no, I think it, was, it totally was the case. I mean, so, you know, every, you're, you're playing, you're on the team, you're part of a position group, right? And so you're, you're having those, those, those um, daily encounters with your position coach and, you know, some, some are good, some are bad. Um, anytime you stepped out of line or anytime there was something else going on, um, Coach Mack always had that pulse, the pulse of that, right? And so he would call guys into his office, pull them aside, and have those side discussions and, and, and make sure that he cared about people. I mean, one of the biggest reasons why um, I went to the University of Utah as opposed to going to some other colleges was that when Coach Mack came out to recruit me, my mom was working, and she, she was working two jobs. And she was at her first job, and she still had to go to her second job later. He was in town. He asked where my mom worked and wanted to go to her job. He went to her job and he took her out to lunch, right? Which wasn't anything any of the other recruiters were going, were, were doing. Um, but it showed me that he cared enough about my mother to, to, to take her from her first job and go sit down and have lunch with her and talk to her about how he was going to ensure that her son became a good man, not a good football player, right? And so when I got out of college, um, and I've been a police officer now for, for 23 years for San Diego Police Department, um, Mac was one of my, he was, he was a reference for me. And I remember him calling me because uh, I used his name and I remember calling me. He's like, Hey Edwin, like you trying to be a police officer. And I'm like, yeah, coach, I'll list you as a reference. 
he's like, yeah, I got you. Don't worry about it. He's like, all I know is whenever you come to Salt Lake, I want to see your police badge. I'm so proud of you. You know, and so the fact that we still talk to McBride to this day and we're still around him, we still talk to his wife, we still engage in the activities that he's still doing in the community. That's a testament to what type of human being he is. And there's not too many other players that played at other colleges that can say, hey, I still talk to my coach. Hey, I know where my coach is. Hey, my coach still cares about me. Hey, my coach still asks about, ask about me. Um, coach McBride legitimately does that. And that matters. And that's why there's such a big brotherhood with the University of Utah, um, especially the guys who play for Mac, um, because we know that he truly, truly cares about us. And that that's of the utmost importance. And I think as it as it's moved um, through the program, you know, with, with Kyle, you know, I mean, all I would say in terms of, you know, mental health and, and whatnot is, I mean, the way that that the way that that program handled the deaths of those football players was phenomenal. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, being, being looking from the outside in, it was phenomenal. And, and understanding that, yeah, if I wanted to ask, you know, Luther or Sharif, um, you know, like, hey, like how things are going or, or, or Manny Hendricks, who's in the front office, like I would ask, hey, man, how are the guys? Like, it's like man, we taking care of these guys, man. We, we you know, we, 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 we taking care of them. And I knew that was true because it's always been the case at the University of Utah. That's my experience. Um, it's always been the case. I know back in your playing days, you guys had a few tragedies. And even even later on in life uh, with Bronzel Miller, uh, right. it was a very tragic thing for you guys. Sitting and watching last year's team go through what they went through, you know, what was going through your head? I mean, obviously, I, I work in a job where I see a lot of tragedy, um, and you never get used to it. You know, you never you never get used to it. And, and I think one of the hardest things is when you look at young people who pass away, and you know, you feel like they have their whole life in front of them. You feel like they lived their life the right way to be able to, you know, be in college, and you know. And, and I remember my years in Utah, so, you know, some of the best years of my life, right? And you know, you, you feel like you're invincible, and, and to lose not one but two kids, like. I mean, it was it was a it was a pit in my stomach, and I think that was a pit in all of our stomachs. And so, I remember um, talking to several guys. I remember talking to you, and I was like, "Hey, like I, I don't care if these guys don't win another game. Like, I just want them to to take care of each other. I just want them to be okay. Um, I just want them to be able to get through this situation and be and, and, and be better, stronger, younger young men, you know. And so, the fact that the the, the way the season ended. Um, getting to the Rose Bowl, I mean, once again, it goes back to the coaching staff and and all the people on staff up there, um, how they how well they took care of those players um, to get them to be able to to pick themselves up, be resilient, get back on the field, and win some meaningful football games, and do it for those two players. And I think the most touching thing about that whole story is those guys, Ty Jordan and Aaron Lowe, are still very much a part of the team. Uh, they just recently announced that. They are having 22% little bumpers on the front of their helmets. They're going to do the hand-painted helmets in honor of, of those two guys. Like, they're still very much a part of everything that they're doing. You know, what, what do you think that says about the program, that they're still so mindful of the fact that these two guys should be here and they're still part of the family, and they've now made their family members part of that Utah football family? Just once again, Michelle, just goes back to family. You know, I mean, if you're going to send your kids somewhere, 
um, I'm going to send my kid to Utah, not because I played there, but what I know about this program, how well they're going to take care of those players, how well they're going to continue to engage in those players' families and their and their families' lives. Like, you know, I, I mean, I can only speak from my experience at Utah, but I know a lot of other guys that played a lot of other places. And they, they're just like, they're kind of amazed. Like, man, like, like all you ever talk about is Utah. Um, you know, all you ever wear is Utah stuff. You rep Utah so hard. Like, and you, and you played a long time ago. Like, what's up with that? And I tell them, I'll, you'll never understand unless you went through it. You'll never understand unless you're a part of that program, unless you're a part of that team with those coaches and how they made you feel. You know, um, people don't, you know, when, when, when I think back to our coaches, I, and I know in the coaches that are on staff now, I know those coaches really care about those kids. And I know there's so many student athletes in the country that when they leave their programs, the coaches move on. And not move on from the job, but move on to the next player. You know, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's, it's in some ways it is amateur sports, but it's a business. But at Utah, it's always been a family. I hope it always continues to be a family. That's what has bred success there. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I love the fact that that's how we handle business. Looking back on the legacy of that 1994 team, you know, what, what do you think the lasting mark is for you guys as far as how Utah football looks now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we were one of the first great teams. You know, they, the uh, University of Utah put the whole 94 team into the School Hall of Fame. Um, so that, you know, that mattered. That shows that we were one of the first great teams. You know, I mean, we weren't just ranked. We finished number eight on one poll, number 10 on another poll. Um, you know, I mean, we, we beat the Pac-10 championship. The, 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 we beat the Pac-10 champion that year in Oregon. You know, and so I think that, you know, what we did, um, it was a special time. Um, it meant a lot to us. Um, you know, and as the, the, the teams have progressed, you look at the 04 team, the 08 team, and the last year team. Um, like we feel like, you know, not that we were, we're part of those things, but we, we understand like how big those games were, how big the program has moved. And we like to feel like we were a little bit, we're a little part of, of starting that, getting that thing kicked in the right direction. Looking ahead to this year, you know, there's talk that this team potentially is a playoff team. Do you see that? I see it. I see it. Um, the schedule sets up perfect schedule for us. You know, you open up in SEC country. Um, what better place to open up? I mean, there. You know, you, you you talk to anybody that thinks they know football, and they're they're going to talk about the SEC as the greatest conference. Blah blah blah. blah. So we go go down to the swamp. You get that win, right? Um, that's going to set the tone for the season. Um, with what has happened last year and playing in the Rose Bowl and, and that environment of you know the granddaddy of them all. Um, with Cam coming back and, and, and Tavion and the tight ends and all the guys on defense, Mark Phillips, and um, getting the, um, the young cornerback that was hurt last year who I felt like was, was just as good of a player as Clark Phillips was before he got hurt. I believe he got hurt in the Weaver State game. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Um, but, um, you know, bringing in Bartons, uh, God bless the Barton family. Like, <laughs> Wow. I'm bringing in young, young Barton. Yeah, we're, 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 we got leadership. We got senior, good senior leadership. And then we got some very, very good young players, Bishop 
and and Barton coming in. I mean, we're we're we're, we're poised. We're poised, and I think as we once we get past that that SC game, I mean, not the SC game, the Florida game, you know, we looking at a at a at a SC looking at SC schedule. They're probably coming to Salt Lake undefeated because their schedule is really fair. Really, they should be able to manage that schedule getting up to Utah, and and I'll be up there for that game. That's going to be a clash of the Titans, and uh, we're going to see what they bring into town. And we typically um, play them very, very good, and we definitely play them good at home. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you guys as the season kicks off. I have one final question for you. It's one of my favorite questions to ask anybody I interview. You know, what does it mean to be a Ute? Wow. You know, um, it means being part of a family, being part of something that's bigger than you. Um, you know, understanding that, you know, as we walk around the communities that we live in, um, you know, we're coaching at high school footballs that we coach, the high school teams that we coach at, that we represent Utah. Um, we always represent Utah. You know, I talked to, to, to Fred Whittingham Jr. You know, he'll come down into San Diego and he'll check in on me and see how I'm doing. And, you know, once a youth, always a youth, it matters. Um, there's, there's, there's parents in San Diego, there's kids in San Diego that, that, that I know that play, that are getting recruited, that, that want to go to Utah, that want Utah to recruit them, um, because how I represent Utah, um, and I haven't played there in 28 plus years, right. But I still represent Utah because I talk about it and how I carry myself and how I live my life. They equate that to the university of Utah. And so that matters to me. Well, awesome. We'll be seeing you real soon, EG. Uh, in the meantime, keep safe and go Utes. Go Utes, see in Gainesville. Let's get it done. <laughs> All right, guys, that is EG. Uh, Edwin Garrett of the 1994 team. You have been listening to the Crimson Corner. We will be back next week highlighting the 2004 team in our countdown of the greatest Utah football seasons ahead of Utah's 2022 season. Thanks for listening. Until next time, as always, go Utes. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.